place, we thank you for being flexible. If you are in a place that you have been, we thank you for being steadfast. <laughs> Super glad to have everybody here. Um, I would love to encourage each one of you to um, invite somebody to come and join us for this year. Um, it's going to be an amazing time of learning about Daniel and the Minor Prophets. And um, we hope that we have, we can spread the word. So if you would love to, if you can think of someone that you know, maybe someone you sit next to in church, uh, maybe someone that you, a neighbor, a friend, someone that might enjoy this um, experience, please invite them to come and we would love to include them in our world of learning about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's uh, get started and pray. Lord Jesus, you have brought these women here for a purpose. And we are so grateful to you that you uh, love us and continue to draw us closer. As we kick off this new year of learning, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would um, speak to our hearts speak to our minds, speak to our spirits, so that we might use this um, learning about the Daniel and the minor prophets to um, glorify you more. Because that is our purpose. In Jesus' name, we offer this year to you. Amen. Amen. So, how many of you look around the east side and recognize God all the time? Everywhere, in everything that people do, everybody's, uh, the things that they are seeking, the things that they're looking for, the things that they're buying with their money. How, how many? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> right. Uh, it is hard sometimes to look around, especially in, um, I think, on the east side, where a lot of people, and in Seattle and all around, all over the United States um, and recognize God's hand because we are so focused on other things, right? We are so focused. We are looking at, um, you know, what kind of car we drive, what kind of house we live in, what kind of um, job we have, all of those things um, is where we put our hope. And we are not putting our hope in Jesus. And in that way, we are in exactly the same place as the people that the prophets were speaking to. I want to read to you um, from um, Matthew, which we studied last year. Um, and this is from Matthew 6. Do not put away riches for yourselves on earth. Moths can rust and, and destroy them. Thieves can break in and steal them. Instead, put away riches for yourselves in heaven. There, moths and rust do not destroy. There, thieves do not break in and steal. Your heart will be where your riches are. And from Ezekiel, who is one of the prophets, though not one of the minor prophets. Ezekiel 29, the people of Israel will no longer trust in Egypt. Instead, Egypt will remind them of how they sinned when they turned to it for help. Then they will know that I am Lord and King. 
And that, ladies, that is the essence of the prophets right there. So we're done. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, there are a lot of things that we think of when we think of prophets. Nostradamus, known as a prophet um, in some circles, said this. In, uh, he lived in the 1500s. He said, whoever is called a prophet now is once called a seer. Since a prophet, my son, is properly speaking one who sees distant things through natural knowledge of all creatures. Um, so what Nostradamus is saying is that a prophet is someone who sees the future. However, the Old Testament prophets, this is a very, very, very small part of what the Old Testament prophets are about. Um, less than 5% of all prophetic literature in the Old Testament deals with the distant future. Less than 5%. So Nostradamus has a piece of it, but not the whole picture. Eusebius, even earlier, one of the early church fathers, um, said, I have proved by how many prophecies the coming of the word of God to men was foretold, and that it was announced by the Hebrew prophets whence he should come, and where and how he should be seen by men on earth. So he's talking about Jesus, right? He's saying that the prophets were telling about the Messiah. They were foretelling the coming of the Messiah. And that is true. We know that. We see, we see it in Isaiah, right? Um, however, less than 2% of the Old Testament prophecies are actually foretelling the Messiah. Hmm. So, therefore, there is, if we add together the distant future, um, and the foretelling of the Messiah, it's a less than 8% of Old Testament prophecy. Therefore, over 92% um, addresses Israel's immediate or imminent situation. As my, my husband said in the car this morning, the prophets are foretelling the now. Hmm. The prophets are foretelling the now. Isn't that cool? I have a smart husband. Amen. <laughs> um, Martin Luther, this was written about Martin Luther King Jr., who lived in the um, 19th or 20th century. Um, we knew no one man had killed the prophet. So the, this author is calling Martin Luther King Jr. the prophet. Rather, the combined weight of racism and absence of moral courage had crushed him. So Martin Luther King Jr. was a social reformer. And often, the Old Testament prophets are also seen as social reformers. They certainly deal with some of the issues in social reform, oppression, um, uh, dealing with the poor, how do we deal with people who are subjugated to the um, authorities. Uh, and the prophets are clearly concerned about this. But that's not the whole story about Old Testament prophecy. Because social reform doesn't include anything about divinity, doesn't include anything about religion, doesn't include anything about God and relationship. And we know that God is primarily concerned with relationship. So the change in economic and political workings of the country, the nation, is always part of the larger context of the people of God. 
um, as God's people, and always with a particular vision of God in it. So, the function of prophecy in the Old Testament um, is that prophets warned that sin would bring about God's judgment, challenged people to trust God, corrected foolish misunderstandings, and condemned the proud and the violent. I'm going to say that again. The prophets warned that sin would bring about God's judgment, challenged people to trust God, corrected foolish misunderstandings, and condemned the proud and the violent. So there are a lot of functions that the prophets actually uh, played uh, in Old Testament prophecy. They were um, members, members of the divine council, the people who were counseling God. So you actually see them at times observing um, the divine council. Um, they advise. In Amos chapter 7, um, you have this picture of this, the divine council um, all surrounding God in the heavens, and the prophets are there advising them. Um, and then an envoy. And that's the most common one that we're most familiar with, of people who are coming and speaking for, on behalf of the divine council. Prophets are called by God. We see that in, uh, I believe, all of the prophetic stories, um, not all of them, most of them, uh, they have a specific call that they have from God. They are communicators of the word of the Lord. And they are intercessors to avert divine wrath. So they are, are on earth. Not only are they advising and um, envoying from the heavens, right? They are also speaking back to the divine council, to God, and saying, don't, don't, please don't. Um, and they are sentinels, which is another very commonly understood um, position of the prophets. They are someone who is saying, um, watch out. Look, look, look what's coming. There are three temporal categories. Temporal just means time-based categories of prophecy. So, and, and you will see these in every single one of these books. Okay, you will see all three. So I want to highlight this because it's important that we're putting things in kind of in their right order. Um, prophecies describing present events, that's going to be most of it, right? This is what's going on right now, um, and putting a, a, a specific um, religious uh, divine overtone to it. Prophecies about a future era, and then symbolic apocalyptic prophecies. So the present events are narratives about it, an event. Um, God's action in the past explains God plan, God's plan for the near future, which moves toward action God wants now. So, for example, Jonah. You know the story of Jonah, right? He's, he goes not to, you know, uh, give you any hints here as to the future. But um, Jonah and the whale, right? Jonah goes, uh, is sent to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go. Um, because he knows that God's going to forgive the Ninevites, who are horrible people. Um, and he doesn't want to do that because he knows that God is forgiving. Um, and he doesn't want to be an agent of the Ninevites actually being redeemed. 
right? Sounds really religious, right? It's a good prophet. Um, so God's action in the past, which explains God's plan for the future, uh, which moves us towards action that God wants now. So you see that continuum, right? Um, and Jonah is an example, perfect example of that. Um, and then there's also a lot of poetry in the prophets. Okay. Now, th this is probably a little bit small, so I apologize. There are a lot of different genres of writing in the prophets. There's judgment speech. There is covenant lawsuit. So that's the... Um, uh, the, the covenant requires this, and you have broken it, right? Um, there's trial speech, so it, it, it's as if we're sitting um, in the courtroom and hearing the prophet uh, pronouncing the deficiencies, um, what the, the evils that the people have done against God. Um, there's disputation, which is a dispute. Um, so there's a dispute between God and the people. There's oracles against foreign nations. There are woe oracles or laments. There are summonses to repent. Salvation oracles. Proclamation of salvation. The difference between those two is the, the oracle of you will be saved. And then the proclamation of salvation, you have been saved, right? Um, there are signs, um, such as Jeremiah being told to go out and buy a vineyard um, right before the people are exiled. Um, he is told to buy this vineyard as a proof to the people that they will be returning. And then that investment that he puts in now will pay off in the future. So that's a sign. Um, there are hymns. You know there are hymns and prophets? Kind of fun. Um, and there are visions. So we'll see some of those, especially in Daniel and some of the apocalyptic stuff. So, another important thing to understand as you are reading anything that includes um, this type of writing, and um, you'll see this in Psalms as well, any kind of poet, poetic writing. Um, Song of Solomon has these. Um, is parallelism. So let's talk about parallelism. So you will notice that in um, a lot of these writings, we have uh, a, a verse that says one thing and then says it again, right? Um, so the three types of parallelism, that's what this is called. Um, they're synonymous. So the, the author is writing something and then writing it again, saying the same thing in a different way. Um, and often, um, it, it, it grows the idea, right? So, um, I should have put some ideas, uh, some examples in here, but I didn't. Um, so then there's antithetical. So we'll say one thing and then say the exact opposite to kind of make, grow the idea, right? Um, and then uh, there's synthetic. So that takes the idea of the first line and kind of adds another thought to it. So uh, it's not just um, 
that God is going to save the day, but God is going to save the day with a, an army from heaven. Right? That kind of idea. Does that make sense? Okay. So on your tables, you should have a list, kind of a kind of a historical guideline overview, um, a historical setting. Um, and we're going to not really look at that list, but it might be helpful to have it as a reference for this next part. Because I'm going to go super fast through all of the prophets, including the major prophets, because they're an important part of this, but kind of put, putting them in their place um, in, in history. So, the first prophets. Um, there's pre-exilic Israel. So we have Israel is the northern kingdom, right? And Judah is the southern kingdom. Most of the prophets come from Judah. Most of the prophets come from Judah. There are a few that come from Israel. Um, and this is because Israel kind of disappears at a certain point. We'll get there. I'll show you what happened. But Israel kind of disappears. So these are the, the pre-exilic Israel, northern kingdom, prophets. Jonah, we just talked about him, and the whale. I put the little whale up there to see you. Um, is one of those prophets. So we have these Syrian kings at this point. This is before Israel goes into exile. The Syrian kings, Hazael and Ben-Hadad, have overpowered the oppressed Israel. This is in 2 Kings, the story. Um, at this point, Assyria is quite weak politically and economically. So Jonah is sent to Assyria's capital, Nineveh. Therefore, the whale story. That's when that happens. So we have this all this political upheaval going on, which this area of the world, the ancient Near East is what we call it, um, is it has a lot of uh, political upheaval going on throughout this whole time. Um, and this is, uh, at this point, Israel is somewhat powerful, but Syria has come in and kind of um, oppressed them. Okay, then we have Amos. Um, at this point in Amos, Jeroboam II is the king of Israel. He is a very strong king, and he conquers the neighboring nations, uh, fulfilling the prophecy that is in Jonah. Okay. So now Israel is starting to expand, um, becomes very wealthy, and the upper classes begin oppressing the lower classes. So you're going to see a lot of that in Amos is the talk about um, oppressing the lower classes, the people, the poor, um, the refugee, the um, uh, people who are the widows and orphans and that sort of thing. Okay, so that's what Amos is talking about. He is talking of oppression internal to Israel. And then we get Hosea. Hosea is prophesying at the end of Jeroboam II's reign um, and through several kings that follow. Um, king Pekah allies himself um, with Syria, King Rezin, um, to attack Judah. Okay, so here we have Israel um, aligning itself with Syria, which is a little bit further north, um, and they're going to attack Israel, which is to the south. 
or Judah, sorry. Um, as a result, Ahaz, who is not a good king in Judah, um, allies himself with Assyria, who is on the ascendant. Okay, so Assyria's um, king, who is Tiglath-Pileser III, name your cat that, um, comes to the rescue. And as a result of this alliance, um, Judah is now under the thumb of Assyria. And they defeat Israel and Syria and um, force heavy tribute from them and from Judah. Israel, their economy is completely destroyed because of this, because Assyria has come in. Assyria, not Syria. I know that's really confusing. We've got two very close. Um, so Assyria has come in and has um, destroyed their economy. So this goes on for a while until King Hosea rebels. Um, and then Assyria comes in again and defeats them again, taking their leaders and thousands of Israelites into exile. Okay, this is in 722 BC. This is the first exile we hear about in the Old Testament. It's Israel going into Assyria. <coughs> So, and the other thing that Assyria did is they took the leaders and thousands of people into exile. They don't take the peasants, because what point is that? But they take all of these people and then they replace them with foreigners, okay? So that you have a whole bunch of foreigners now living in Israel. Um, this essentially ends the kingdom of Israel, okay? We don't hear anything about it after this. Um, as they're in exile. Okay? But Judah is still around because at this point they are a vassal of Assyria, but they haven't rebelled, so they haven't been taken into exile yet. Okay, so the setting of pre exilic Judah, and I promise I have a map coming so you'll kind of get a picture of this. So Isaiah, who is not a minor prophet, so we won't be studying Isaiah today or this, this year, um, but it's important to kind of get them in the, the whole big picture of things because we will be referring to Isaiah um, and some of the other major prophets. Um, Isaiah prophesied from the king of, time of King Uzziah to the time of King Hezekiah in Israel, which is southern kingdom. So at first, he is prophesying against the proud and the wealthy. And this is going to be another theme, right? That remember, we're prophesying, we're telling the future about now, right? The, the proud and the wealthy um, don't have good cred in the prophets. Um, so we want to make sure that we are paying attention to that because I think that is also very applicable to today, right? Um, pride. I don't know about you, but I have a really hard time with being proud. Um, and I often think that things happen um, because I made them happen and because I was really good at that thing. And, you know, like, like I drive my car so well, you know, or, you know, so I deserve a nice car or, you know, we, you know, I, I worked really hard at that thing and so it really succeeded and pat, 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 right? 
the crowd and the wealthy um, don't have really good street cred um, because the prophets are there talking about um, what God wants, not what we want. So back to the history. Um, we can read about this Isaiah, um, the situation in Isaiah in 2 Chronicles, um, which is one of the history books. Um, and we have a lot of overlap. Um, the stories in some of the history books, so Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, those, those are the history stories. And then the prophets fit into that history. Okay, we'll see that throughout this whole, um, this whole thing. So at first, um, Isaiah is talking against the proud and the wealthy. After Uzziah died, the next king, Ahaz, was a worshiper of Baal, who is the, the god of the Philistines. So um, that's in 2 Kings, we see that story. Ahaz, I mentioned earlier, he was the one who went to um, Assyria and got their help, right? He had a very long reign. Um, he relied upon a foreign nation when Judah and Syria attacked um, instead of God. So he's not trusting God, he's trusting something else. Um, and as a result, Judah became this vassal state of Assyria. Um, a couple kings later, Hezekiah began, began temple reforms and stopped paying that tribute to Assyria. Um, he made treaties with uh, the Egypt and Babylon um, and then realized later that maybe he should be doing this for, with God, making a treaty with God and relying on God. Um, and so he kind of backtracked a little bit on those treaties. So Isaiah's role was to keep pushing Hezekiah to trust God and not trust the foreign nations. So you see that a lot in um, Isaiah. Here's a map. So this is the Assyrian Empire. So you see over here, this is Judah, right? Um, this area up here is going to be um, Israel, that is now Mulan, part of the Assyrian Empire. You see how big this is? This is a really big area. Here's Nineveh up here. That's where Jonah went, right? So all of this area, this is um, Syria is here, right? So they've been conquered also. So you see all of this. And Babylon is, this, is part of Assyria at this point. Um, but they are coming, right? Um, so this is Assyrian Empire in Isaiah's time. Any questions about the map? <laughs> okay. Um, Micah. Micah was prophesying at the same time as Isaiah in Judah. Um, he started after Uzziah died, though. So uh, he didn't start at the same time, but they're kind of contemporaries. Um, he was prophesying against Assyria, against injustices, against the weak, by the powerful, during the reign of Ahaz. Ahaz was a really bad guy. We're, we don't like Ahaz. Um, he also prophesied that the attack of Assyria against Hezekiah was part of God's plan to destroy Assyria. Go figure. Then we have Nahum. So before the fall of Jerusalem, God sent a series of prophets to encourage reform and to warn of the impending demise of Judah. Nahum was one of them, and he encouraged 
there's King Josiah. So Josiah was a good king. We like Josiah. Um, so this is about 632 BC. To trust in the power and goodness of God and depend on God's wrath to destroy Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Shortly after this, the Assyrian king Ashurbanipal, say that fast, um, started to lose power and the Assyrian Empire began to disintegrate. Nineveh was destroyed 20 years later in 612, fulfilling Nahum's prophecy. Zephaniah, one of my favorites. Uh, king Josiah began reforming temple worship in Judah in about 628 BC. We see that in 2 Chronicles 34. And before his big reform, a few years later, Zephaniah spoke words of warning and encouragement to Josiah. Josiah was out from under the thumb of Assyria, um, but he began his reforms by re removing the, all the foreign religious objects, right, and influences. But there was still a remnant of Baal, who is the god of the Philistines. Um, and other pagan religions in Jerusalem when Zephaniah is prophesying. So he's saying, you know, you gotta get rid of all of them. You haven't, done, you haven't finished the work. The political and religious leaders were not following God at this time. Political and religious leaders. Notice that. That's really important, that the religious leaders aren't even following God. Zephaniah warned that the people needed to seek the Lord before his severe judgment would overcome him on the day of the Lord, which is, in Zephaniah, a pretty astonishing day, pretty traumatic. Jeremiah, not a minor prophet. That, by the way, major and minor, do you know the difference? It's just the length. They're, you know, the big prophets are long, and the minor prophets are short. Um, so Jeremiah was also prophesying during the reign of Josiah, um, but continued beyond through several kings. Um, he prophesied to the people of Judah to repent of their sins and reject the worship of Baal, um, which Manasseh, who was another king, um, another bad one, they tend to go good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, although occasionally you get a couple bads in a row. Um, so Manasseh came after Hezekiah. He was, a, he was awful. Um, in 609 BC, the Egyptian king Necho marched north to fight the Babylonians. But Josiah tried to stop them at the Megiddo Pass. You know the term Armageddon? Okay. Um, in, in Hebrew, it's actually Har Megiddo, which means Mountain of Megiddo. So Megiddo Pass um, is this place in Israel. There's a mountain, there's a big valley, and a lot of battles happened there. So um, this, the whole idea is kind of the, the valley of the shadow of death, if you know that from Psalm 23, right, um, is probably referring to this valley of Megiddo because it was seen as this, this valley of death because so many wars and so many people had been killed there. So, well, that's an aside. Um, so, but he's trying to stop them here is one of the wars um, at the Megiddo Pass. Um, and this is when King Josiah is killed. Egypt gained control of Judah at that point and installed Jehoiakim as a puppet king. Um, 
when Jehoiakim, that king, rejected Josiah's reforms and turned the nation back to um, worshiping Baal. Jeremiah spoke out against this and was persecuted by Jehoiakim. In 605 BC, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, you know that name, right? That's a familiar one, um, defeated the Egyptians and gained control over Judah. 605 BC. And at this point, they took the first group of uh, Judahites into exile, including Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Ben. They took more into exile later in 597 BC, including Ezekiel. Um, Nebuchadnezzar in, installed Zedekiah as the king of Judah, but after a few years he rebelled and Babylon came again to defeat Judah. And this is when Jeremiah leads. Uh, I just lost my point. Pleases uh, Zedekiah to surrender, but Zedekiah refused, and Babylon comes again and destroyed Jerusalem in 586 BC, ending the Judah, reign of Judah, the kingdom. Habakkuk opens with a prayer regarding the violence and injustice of Jehoiakim. Um, this was shortly before the Babylonian army gained control of Judah in 605. Um, so Habakkuk's second prayer questions why God would use the Babylonian army to punish them, Judah. God responds that he will punish Babylon in turn. It's coming. And um, at this point, Habakkuk trusts God. Um, so it's just kind of this conversation between Habakkuk and God. Joel, the last of the pre-exilic Judahite prophets. Um, we don't know much about the setting of Joel. We get I, the ideas about where, how things were set, when things were set, what was going on, by the types of prophecies, the types of comments, the types of things that, are, that we see, hints that we see in the text. We don't have a whole lot of that in Joel. Um, he called the priests to declare a fast, at the temple, so we know this is before Jerusalem got sacked because there is a temple, um, or possibly it's after the temple was rebuilt many years later. Um, but we're guessing it was before. So, um, and then he called the people to repent because of an approaching army sent by God, which probably refers to the Babylonians. That's pretty much what we know about Joel. Exilic prophets. So as the prophets are in exile, they are also speaking. They continue to speak. So Obadiah is a, um, one of the first ones. He condemned the Edomites because they didn't help Judah when Babylon came calling. So the Edomites rejoiced and robbed the city and refugees as they fled. So um, Obadiah is doing a lot of um, the, the oppression against the poor and the refugees, um, you see a lot of that in Obadiah because the refugees are fleeing the city and they're being robbed and not taken care of. Here is the Babylonian Empire. So here is um, Babylon, 
as we saw before, you see that Babylon has taken over. Uh, it's not quite as big as Assyria, so this was the Assyrian Empire out over here. Um, but Babylon has taken over Assyria and has taken in now Jerusalem and this whole area down here, the desert. So that's the Babylonian Empire. <coughs> Ezekiel, not a minor prophet, too long, um, was taken into exile after the war between Judah and Babylon in 597. Um, he was speaking to the exiled people who lived in Babylon. So he is in Babylon and speaking to the Judahites who are in exile there. Um, and he prophesied about the coming destruction of Jerusalem. So he's telling them, hey, just so you know, this is going to happen to the people back home. Daniel is commonly known as an apocalyptic because he is talking in much part about end times. But he also has a whole bunch of prophecy in there about um, current times. And he was taken into exile at the, in the first wave to Babylon and is speaking to the people there. Um, so we're going to start that next week. So I'm not going to do a whole lot because I'm going to trust um, that our other teachers have a lot to say. But um, he was in, taken in the first Babylonian conquest in 605. So we have these, these three are teaching, um, are prophesying to Israelites, who are two Judahites who are in exile in Babylon. Um, we do have some after. We know that the Babylonian exile lasted 70 years, and then they, some started being sent back. Cyrus the Persian came along, conquered uh, Babylon, uh, and sent some of the people back. We see that, we see that in Daniel as well. Um, and so people started coming back, and then what happened? So then we have post-exilic prophets. We had pre, we had during, and now we have post. So Haggai and Zechariah are basically prophesying at the same time about the same things. Um, they began to prophesy in Jerusalem the second year of the Persian king Darius in 520. So this is about 100 years later. Um, 16, about 16 years after 50,000 of the exiles had returned to Jerusalem. Um, so Cyrus gave them their freedom to return. They returned, and then a few years later, we get Haggai and Zechariah. The returned exiles tried to rebuild the temple, but eventually stopped. We hear that, we see that story in the book of Ezra. Until Haggai challenged them to rebuild the temple. Get it done. Zechariah encouraged the returnees with eight visions that confirmed God's support for the completion of the temple. So they were important to the rebuilding of the Jewish um, religious system. Malachi. Malachi. <laughs> Malachi is set perhaps 100 years later. Um, I'm not really sure. Um, during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah based on common issues that Ezra and Nehemiah are uh, talking about, like tithing, unfaithful priests, oppression of the poor, um, intermarriage, and divorce. So we're guessing about the years 433 to 420. Um, so, and then after Malachi, we have 400 years of 
absolute silence. Absolute silence from God. We don't know a whole lot about what happened in there. We know that there are battles and you know Israel is taken into captivity, not exile, but taken, you know, becomes vassal states of you know different nations. Um, eventually they become vassal state of Rome. And then we have the setting of Jesus. Okay? So that's kind of where we're uh, where we're going. Um, so there are some interpretive issues in biblical prophecy. I'm going to run through this pretty fast. Um, is it literal, literal or metaphorical? Yes. <laughs> See, that's fast, right? Um, is it limited by its context? No. Is it conditional or unconditional? Meaning, if it if there's some ifs in there. If you do this, then, right? That if then. Um, so, yes, it's conditional, and in some cases, it's unconditional. Is it about the near future or the far future? Yes. Um, and is it always fulfilled? No. Um, we see that, especially aforementioned Jonah, right? We see that God prophesied to Jonah. The people of Nineveh repented and began following him. And therefore, the prophecy did not come true, right? So it's not always fulfilled, but it's always, uh, God's purposes are always fulfilled. Does that make sense? God's purposes are always fulfilled. And that is the thing I think that we should take from this, is that all of the prophets are teaching us that our relationship with God comes first over wealth, over all the things that we put our faith in, relationships, um, alliances, power, all of those things that we, we put our faith in, we need to put our faith in God first. That's where it comes from. We will see over and over and over again uh, throughout the prophets where God is saying, come back to me. Come back to me. And that, ladies, that's still his wish for us. Come back to me. And the beautiful thing is, is that he did send his son. Because of this whole history, and I hope we can keep that as forefront in our minds, is that this whole history is why he sent Jesus. Because we couldn't do it on our own. We kept failing, right? We kept failing. And so Jesus came so that we don't have to, we just trust in him. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we thank you so much that you did come. We thank you for the opportunity to learn about your prophets whom you sent so that we can better understand um, why you came, um, in what context you came, and how we can better follow you. Lord, teach us this year through your prophets. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.